0: I'm Pastor Mike Winger, and this is Bible Thinker, the program dedicated to thinking biblically about everything.
1: Back again. Hello, Steve. Hello, Kyle. How are you today? You feeling feel uh? Awesome, you feeling good after your marathon stream last night?
2: I am feeling great. Had a great night last night. Very entertaining.
1: We had fun. It was yeah. entertaining. Um, you have some very strange conversations on. On those streams sometimes, but good nonetheless. Even more
2: bizarre than we have on here sometimes. That is true, right? I mean, that's true. Yeah.
1: Let's say let's not be rude and say hello to our uh, wonderful guests that we have. This is going to be I guess. an amazing talk, I think, <laughs> tonight. I'm I've been so excited about this ever since we uh, we we booked this. So let's say hello to uh, Paula Gia. I believe this is your last time I counted. This is your seventeenth appearance on the show. So happy number seventeen. Is it
3: really? It is. That's insane. Yeah.
1: In, okay. some for, in some form, in some form, whether it be through the collab videos or you know just popping in in the after shows or uh, the roasts, you have been here seventeen times. So man, I've only had you on my show once. We got to fix that. Uh, yeah, uh, thanks for reminding <laughs> me, Paul. Now I can't even go on. Steve, take over, please.
3: You
2: know that was one of his best episodes, though. That's one of his more popular episodes. Oh, <laughs> uh, you, you know he's
1: going to say that. You um, know he's going to say that. And let's give a uh, a big welcome to mike winger welcome sir howdy it's good to be with you guys
0: thanks for asking me to come on and do this i'm um, very much looking forward to it and appreciate you uh, making the
1: space sure i think you and paul are going to get along uh quite well and it's going to be a, a really good uh, conversation uh, it's outside you know everybody likes the de- the debates that we have featuring the the, the screaming and yelling but these are good too, and I'm I'm excited that we have two level-headed people that are going to have a um, what I think is going to be a really really great conversation. So I am excited about this. Um, Steve, do you have anything before I yammer on about what we've got coming up?
2: Uh, not necessarily. Um, I was going to mention a few things, but you know what? I'm going to wait till later. So
1: are you sure to the end? Yeah. Okay. Um, just a quick. Reminder of what we've got coming up. Uh, f- tomorrow is going to be the reschedule of Dr. Peter Ward. That it was the climate change discussion that was supposed to take place last week. Uh, he is actually going to be here tomorrow, so we will have that uh, conversation. Uh, Sunday, uh, uh, Geo – tell me, Steve, am I pronouncing that right? Geo-scriber. G- I'm not even going to attempt that. Whatever Steve <laughs> said. Uh, That's the closest I can
2: get to. It's probably butchering it, but it-
1: – is taking on uh, – here's a, a Shanabuski <laughs> Sh- 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 33333. Uh, yeah, it's a flat earth debate, okay? That's all you need to know. Just show up at 4 o'clock, and um, and, and let's just watch that. Uh, Monday, Sargon of Akkad and Adam Kokish. Adam Kokish is running for uh, senator of uh, Arizona. He was running for president on the, liber- the Libertarian ticket. However, that seat opened up in Arizona, so he will be running for that. Uh, they're going to be coming into debate – uh, liberal, the liberalist agenda and uh, capitalism, and I believe it's, uh, there's anarcho-capitalism in there too, uh, but anyway, everybody knows Sargon is, com- you know, completely against that, so he's going to be coming to um, try to pick up where Steve and I left off last time, maybe he'll get a word in, I don't know, it may just be Sargon, <laughs> just staying in there, because Steve and I literally said probably four words last time Kokish was on, so, um Thursday the 8th, Isaac Arthur. Everybody's been asking about Isaac Arthur. He will be here next week, next Thursday. We're going to be talking about uh, the possibility that one day we will get to a point where you can literally upload your mind to a new body or a computer. Like Because of the way that your brain processes information and stores memories in uh, an electrical current, and I'm not doing it justice, so just bear with me here, but... Uh, there's the, a theory that, or a hypothesis, I guess, that one day you'll be able to upload those to a a separate entity. So if your body gets, you know, run down, you can just eject and pop it into another uh, newer model. So yeah, um, that'll be interesting. Um, okay, I put out a poll today. I'm sure some of you saw it. Let me get my numbers out here. I put out two polls pertaining to what we were going to be discussing tonight. And that would be, uh, is there sufficient evidence to believe in the resurrection? And I asked this on Twitter and YouTube, and here are the results that um, that I got. And, and you know, to give, uh, to be honest and fair to Mike, we are a, a heavily audience, you know, in the atheist category. So um, don't let these numbers terrify you too much, but... Um, and, <laughs> in twitter the the yeses so that it, there is sufficient evidence to believe in the resurrection 11% and uh noes were 86% and the undecideds were 3%. now on youtube out of uh, 693 votes 5% yes 92% no and 3% undecided. so this is no good for me. I have nowhere to, I have no way to improve. No, no pressure, Mike. It is more difficult. Yes, no pressure, Mike. Um, so, I, what we'll do is we'll uh, I'm gonna let Steve kind of soft introduce the two of you, and um, then you two can talk about your channels, plug whatever you've got going on, and then we'll um, lead on with the discussion. Steve. all right
2: you know what? and by the way i am really honestly looking forward to this discussion as well because i like when i have two erudite people that come on and take very opposite positions um such as like this so anyways uh first we got apologia apology is a former christian he takes a look at the claims of christians on his channel and he has a little series called ham and eggs where he analyzes uh, ken ham's um show i guess I, I don't know if ken ham calls it a show or whatever he does but it's he kind of analyzes that the news show. It, I wouldn't call it news, but it's a uh, young earth creation. Ham and is, eggs is the
1: greatest, is. The, the, the most creative thing it's ever, brilliant. too, by the way. It is. It really is.
2: It's brilliant. Um, and we've had Paul G. on many times. He's a very good interlocutor. He comes in and has these discussions. Uh, and then we also have uh, somebody new, although I've talked to him before on Center Apologetics, Mike Winger. He has his own channel. Uh, it's called The Bible Thinker. Uh, he does uh, teaching and defending biblical, I believe, inerrancy and youth pastoring. I'm not mistaken? Yeah, actually, the, my channel is Mike
0: Winger, which is my name. And then Bible Thinker is the website, BibleThinker.org. So. Gotcha, there you go.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Way, I'm Way to
0: go, Steve.
1: You had one job. Not messed up, messed you had up his one his job. <laughs> You killed it, man. <laughs>
2: one job. He's a Christian. What else do you need to know?
1: Please. He'll forgive you. Okay, so uh,
2: yeah,
1: let's thank uh, you. <laughs> let uh, Paul, you want to go ahead and uh, introduce yourself and uh, tell everybody what you do? Sure, I'm Paul Paul G. As, you, as mentioned, I have a YouTube channel.
3: Uh, where I spend most of my time, but uh, just as a bit of a background to this conversation, I was a Christian, I was a Mennonite fundamentalist, uh, I went to Bible school, I was a youth minister for a long, long, a youth minister. I worked in youth ministry uh, and um, worship leading for a long, long time. I believed, up until a few years ago, I believed everything that Mike will tell you today. Um, but at one point I decided that I needed to go look at the Bible uh, without assuming that it's true. And, and evaluate my faith from scratch. And that uh, led to a big crisis and led me here. So that's just a little bit of background.
1: Awesome, all right, Mike.
0: Um, so uh, I'm a youth pastor and a worship leader and, <laughs> and I've been doing that for uh, for a very long time. And actually I went through my own crisis and I decided I wanted to evaluate if what I believed was true. I'm, I mean, this is true story, I'm not making this up. Um, and one of the things that bolstered and encouraged me so much was the evidence for the resurrection of Christ, and so I'm excited to get to talk about that. I really think there's this great historical case for the risen Jesus.
1: Awesome. Well, uh, uh, th- for those of you who are watching, we're going to kind of blend in two styles of uh, what we do on on this show with the debates. It's not going to be so much formal and not the uh, the... Total open discussion. What we're going to do is we're going to allow each of these guys to make an opening statement. And um, it's not going to be timed. I just told them to kind of cap it at 15 minutes just so they could get all their points out. And we would have a, a broad kind of um, range to, uh, to discuss further. And then after that, after uh, Paul makes his opening statement, we will let the two of them... Uh, have a discussion based on what the uh the other has said steve and i will be here um uh, as eye candy obviously and um and we will only interject when there's over talking or we go completely off the rails so uh keep it on the rails and let's uh let's go ahead and get started mike whenever you're ready
0: all right well um first again thanks just for having me here um i'll admit I am, I'm still learning this stuff. I'm still in the process of discovering and researching and all that. But I've done a lot of my own private work on it. And so I hope to present something that you'll find interesting and maybe even compelling. Uh, some of you guys out there, a lot, a lot of the audience right now, you're, you're atheists, skeptics, agnostics, um, and you're suspicious of apologists, guys like me. Um, so I just ask you to hear me out. I'm going to try and do something to overcome your suspicion. And my plan is this. Uh, in order to overcome your suspicion, I want to use... Uh, consensus opinions from historians, from uh, a heterogeneous group of historians, in other words, historians from all different worldviews, Christian, non-Christian, that what consensus or over 90% of those historians agree on as they look at the historical record, I'm going to use that data as I present a case for the resurrection of Jesus, and then I'm going to offer, if I have time, Uh, evidence for the empty tomb, which will be a majority opinion, even though it's not a consensus. So I'm leaving out. That means I'm leaving out fulfilled prophecy. I'm leaving out, which is one of my favorite topics. I'm leaving out my own testimony, the changed lives that other people say that proves that Jesus is alive. Um, I'm leaving out the authority of the Bible. I'm not saying the Bible is infallible, inerrant. I'm not even assuming that it's historically reliable. Now, I believe those things, but that's not the case I'm presenting at the moment, because I think even with one arm tied behind my back, I can still present a really robust case for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So it'll be simple. We're going to argue from just a few facts to the most reasonable explanation of those facts being the resurrection of Christ. Um, but I got to overcome one misconception real quick, and that is that we can't use the Bible in a historical sense. Um, that's a big misconception that seems really common on on the Twitter feed that went out to prepare people for this show. That was like, oh, you're going to use the Bible. You can't use the Bible to prove the Bible and I, I get what you mean. Like, I can't use the Bible saying the Bible is God's word to prove that the Bible is God's word, that I need more than that, right? But that's not the question we're asking. We're using the Bible like the way that, for instance, a, a historian looking at, at Muhammad would use the Quran and the Hadith to see th- to draw historical data from it. So they're not believing it in like it's error or infallible. They're just getting historical data from it. Now, what they do is... Is they go, oh, you know, Muhammad really did marry a six-year-old girl named Aisha. Okay, that really happened. We can get that historical data from the text without believing it's inspired. And we're doing that kind of thing here with the Bible. Um, another problem is when people think that the Bible is, the Gospels, for instance, are one source. And I think I heard, well, I did hear Paul uh, say this in one of his videos, that the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are only one source. Um, but even according to guys like Bart Ehrman, we have Mark, We have then um, Q, we've got the unique content in Matthew. Yeah, he copies some of Mark, but some of that is totally unique. We have the unique content in Luke. He copies some of Mark, and him and Matthew have some things that are shared, but some is unique to Luke. And historians look at each of those as independent sources. They're different streams, different traditions, and so they consider all that. Okay, so here's the quick facts, as I try to race through, give you guys a lot to think about, um... This should be the easy part, right? This is what um, historians agree on over 90%. The vast majority coming from all different stripes agree on these three things. The first one is that Jesus did in fact die by crucifixion. Some of you guys are familiar with this, right? You've heard this before. I'm not going to labor this point because Paul actually agrees with me on this point. He does think that at least if I remember how you said it, you said at least one guy named Jesus died by crucifixion. <laughs> so so he agrees with me there. Um, even atheist Gerd Ludemann says that Jesus's death as a consequence of crucifixion, is indisputable. Uh, Jesus' seminar leader, J.D. Crossan, who thinks that Christianity is a metaphor and there is no God, um, he says there is not the slightest doubt about the fact of Jesus' crucifixion under Pontius Pilate, that he was crucified, is as sure as anything historical can ever be. Now, these are not Christians, uh, not not, not actual biblical Christians in any sense. So that's the first fact. Jesus died by crucifixion. That doesn't give me him being alive from the dead. He's just... He's just dead at that point. So the second fact is this, that very shortly after Jesus' death, the disciples, they had experiences that led them to believe, that's an important word here, believe and proclaim that Jesus had been resurrected and had appeared to them. Um, And I'll just say this fact, I'll summarize it as, appearances to the disciples. That'll be the short version of fact number two. So we have lots of sources for this one. Um, there's uh, over nine independent sources. I'll just give you a few. We have uh, Paul's writings coupled with his claims to have met Peter and James to confirm that they also had the same claims. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15 is going to be of interest for our study. In 1 Corinthians 15, there's a there's a few verses there where there's <clears throat> what scholars agree, this is the by and large agreement, is a creed, an early church creed. And I think Paul agrees with me on this too, perhaps not. Um, there's an early church creed and it says this, I'll read it to you, First Corinthians 15, 3. Uh, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. That's verse 3. That, that phrase is a statement that is indicating this is oral tradition formalized. And then he gives the creed that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at once, uh, at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And that, that phrase there, that, that's an early church creed that Paul's saying, I received this from, from other sources, and then I came and I gave it to you in Corinth. Now, Paul wrote 1 Corinthians in about 55 A.D., but he had visited Corinth years earlier. But he's saying that he delivered this message to them years before he wrote First Corinthians. So this backdates it to before that time. Then he's saying that the, uh, the creed itself was something he received that was formalized as a creed before he ever even made it to Corinth. And so um, you can safely date this to within 10 years of the, of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and probably within five years, this creed. Now, does it mean that Jesus rose? No, that's not my point. The point is that from the very beginning of Christianity, we know that the appearances to the disciples, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and his appearance to the disciples was what they were preaching. You see, I'm not saying that it's true yet. I'm just saying we know that that's what they were preaching from the beginning and from likely a Jerusalem source. So John Rogers, historian, he says, this is the sort of data that historians of antiquity drool over. (laughs) They just drool over this stuff. It just goes right back to the source. It's very close to the time that it actually happened. And um, it's a genuine belief. The disciples had a genuine belief. Um, There's other sources I could quote on this, but I'll just, for the sake of time, I want to move forward. I'll quote Paula Fredrickson, who is not a Christian. She's a historian. She says, I know in their own terms, what they saw was the raised Jesus. That's what they say. And then all the historical evidence we have afterwards attest to their conviction that that's what they saw. I'm not saying that they really did see the raised Jesus. I wasn't there. I don't know what they saw. But I do know that as a historian, they must have seen something. So even um, non-Christian historians, this is, again, a consensus opinion that there was appearances Apparent appearances, or at least the disciples believed they had seen the risen Jesus, and this accounts for their for their preaching of the gospel. Um, Lykona puts it this way in his book, uh, uh, The Resurrection of Jesus, uh, page three seventy two. He says this conclusion is granted by a near unanimous, nearly unanimous consensus of modern scholars, and may therefore be added to our historical bedrock. In fact, he goes on to say that the appearance to the twelve, which is a group appearance, there's three group appearances in the passage here that goes back to our historical bedrock. It says the appearance of the 12 is perhaps the most strongly attested of Jesus's post resurrection appearances. I mean, we also have it in in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And yeah, we do have it in Mark. And we can talk about that in the, in the back and forth talk we do. So the second fact is the appearance to the disciples. And it's not saying Jesus must have appeared. I'm just saying the disciples believed that they saw the risen Jesus that much we can say historically. Um, they were sincere. And we can talk about the the, the suffering of uh, martyrdom of the apostles and all that. The, f- the third fact that historians agree on is that within a few years after Jesus's death, Paul, Paul, the persecutor of the church, he converted after experiencing what he interpreted as a post-resurrection appearance of Jesus to him. In other words, the appearance to Paul. So that's my third fact, that Paul believed that he had an appearance. He converted and became a Christian as a result of that experience and, um, what he thought he saw was Jesus. Um, Habermas himself says, uh, who's, who's the foremost expert on the, on, on this subject, the, the evidence for the resurrection of Christ. Um, he says virtually all scholars recognize Paul's testimony that he had an experience that he believed was an appearance of the risen Jesus. So, um, this is those three facts aren't, aren't really seriously debated among scholars. And, that, and that's me just, I'm saying, I don't want to have to prove every single thing in the world to you. I'll go, what do they already agree with? My statement now is the best explanation of those facts is the actual resurrection of Jesus. That, and, and you know, park your, your your skepticism for a moment and ask yourself, if the resurrection of Jesus was possible, it would be a good explanation of all those facts, wouldn't it? That Jesus died, that his disciples who ran in fear after his death suddenly say we saw him risen from the dead and they're willing to die based upon that claim that this appearance happened not only to individuals but also in group settings and then the conversion of Paul based upon that same data. These are all things that do make sense if you say, okay, Christ did in fact rise from the dead. That would be a a good way to explain it. And I think that other hypotheses uh, will just fall apart when you try to compare them to this historical data. Now, the one thing I'd like to add is the empty tomb. <laughs> now, the empty tomb does not have uh, a consensus. What it does have is a majority, a growing majority. Habermas gives it a 75% majority. Um, very recently, I think he said it was 73%, he thinks. But he doesn't even include people who think the tomb was empty, but give a natural explanation. He only includes in that percentage those who think the tomb was empty and have no natural explanation. So if someone says, swoon theory, stolen body, he doesn't even include them in that statistic. And so I, I think he should, but uh, he doesn't. So here's real quick, looks like I got about four minutes. So here's a few lines of evidence that support the empty tomb. And why I would, I would say we can add this to bolster our case for the resurrection. Um, every single gospel has the empty tomb and it flows with the narrative. There's no, there's no signs in particular of any legendary development in Mark. It flows smoothly with the narrative in its original form that we have in the gospels. Um, Paul teaches it. It's in the, it's implied strongly in the creed that I read to you that goes back to Jerusalem to the first just few years of the early church. Um, It has early attestation and multiple attestation. These are important uh, historical criteria. It's also enemy attested in Matthew 28, the polemic that the Jews had against the, the the Christians was that the, the disciples stole the body of Jesus, which is the implication of this is that in fact, the tomb was real. The tomb was, in fact, empty. There's other uh, attestation. In Justin Martyr's dialogue with Trypho in the 2nd century, it's still hanging around. This empty tomb uh, theft is still hanging around. In Tertullian at the end of the 2nd century, it's still around. They're still fighting against this, this stolen body theory. And nobody else challenged the tomb with anything else. No one said there was no tomb or the body was in the tomb. Uh, even Celsus in the 2nd century writing against Christianity, he never challenges the empty tomb and you would think that they would do this if they could it would be expected of them There's no competing traditions We have the criterion of embarrassment because we have the testimony of the women that they found the tomb Also Joseph of Arimathea a guy who was on the Sanhedrin, he's the guy that actually takes Jesus and puts him in the tomb Which is embarrassing to the disciples and the early church that they were not there They were fleeing and running and then Joseph of Arimathea does this um, Gosh, there's there's more I, I, okay, I got two minutes and 13 seconds, if, if my clock is right. So let me share a couple of things. Um, the empty tomb tradition starts in Jerusalem. It starts in Jerusalem, and it's, and it's in the area of Jerusalem. Joseph of Arimathea is from a location about four miles north of Jerusalem. So here we have a well-known member of the Sanhedrin. Everybody knew the guys that were on the Sanhedrin. It's like being on the Supreme Court, you know? And he, they're saying that guy, everybody knew his tomb, which you'd be able to find locally, I mean, if you were making the story up, you'd want to put them further away. Um, So it's implying that this is more historical, more likely historical. We've even found first century tombs that are like the one described in the Bible. There's three different kinds of tombs. One in particular that we found, it does, uh, some of them, excuse me, they match the style of tomb with a bench and then the, uh, the holes for the bodies to be placed later after they had decayed. So all this stuff works. In fact, only a rich man could afford such a tomb. And the tombs they found were near the garden gate uh, of the temple, um, which it just is interesting because Joseph of Arimathea had a tomb in a garden. So there's a few of the things I'll, uh, I'll yield my last 60 seconds. And I'll just say this. The point is, um, Jesus is, his resurrection is the best explanation of this evidence. I'll leave it to uh, Paul to present an alternate explanation that is not ad hoc. Thank you very much.
1: Excellent. All right, Paul. All right.
3: So thanks again for having me on guys. Uh, this is a passionate topic of mine uh, for the exactly the opposite reason. I used to believe this. I, I now no longer think there is, but let's just look at the claim. So did Jesus rise from the dead is obviously a historical uh, style thing to prove. Um, um First, actually, I want to reiterate, I did actually stipulate two things here. I did stipulate that uh, Jesus existed as a person. Um, I know that a lot of my mythicist brethren and cistern will uh, will not like that necessarily, but I find for this, there's not really a lot of point in talking about uh, that here. I don't feel like the, the case rests on whether or not he's historical, as odd as that sounds. But given that he was historical, if I'm granting that, um, the fact that he died is probably the most mundane thing you could... Uh, possibly say about any person in history that they died. So again, it's pretty easy to grant uh, the first point that, that Mike made here, um, that Jesus existed and that he died. But in terms of history, history isn't like math, where we have proof, where we can uh, go through and actually say things that are proved. It's not even quite like science, um, in that, you know, in science we look at the predictive power of something to evaluate whether or not it's a, it's a good theory or a good hypothesis. Um, In history, what we deal with is the probability whether something happened. You never prove that something for sure happened. It's always probabilities. Um, So within that, we have certainties, uh, levels of certainty as historians describe. And that certainty is proportioned to a number of different factors. First of which would obviously be just the evidence that's on hand. How much evidence do we have and what kind of evidence is it to support uh, the claim that we're looking at? Another factor is the conventionality of the claim. So is it uh, something grand or is it something mundane? Mundane is going to be a word I use a lot. Um, So for example, you would need a different type of evidence to say that Abraham Lincoln cut down a cherry tree versus Abraham Lincoln hunted vampires in his spare time. Now both of those claims have been made in literature, um, but obviously the Cutting down a tree is a different claim than hunting vampires, and you'd need a different level of evidence to describe those two things. Um, and then, unfortunately, there's a reality that certainty is also a to how much time has passed since the alleged event. So um, so if you had the same amount of evidence for two different claims, but one claim happened, say, 100 years ago, and another happened 1,000 years ago, just by the way history works, we're going to be more certain about the one that happened 100 years ago than 1,000 years ago or 2,000 years ago. Uh, that may not be fair, but that is actually just the way history works. Um, now, I actually anticipated that the phrase uh, scholars, scholarly consensus or scholars agree was going to come up, uh, as it often does. Now, um, scholars, there is unfortunately no way to really know what the consensus is. Now, Gary Habermas, whose name came up several times, allegedly has a database where he surveyed, Uh, thousands of people who have published on the resurrection now those include everyone from historians to new testament scholars to uh, philosophers to everyone Um, now gary uses this database when he uses his his talks Uh, he's even referenced it in papers but unfortunately he's never shared this data with anyone so until gary shares this there is no way to know what the consensus of scholars say Um, i would just like everyone to know that when Mike and I are talking about things, uh, I think I trust his scholarship and hopefully you guys will all trust mine to know that when we talk about scholars, um, that there are PhDs on both sides of each of these issues. And when we're bringing things up, there are people who are well-meaning, well-educated, um, and honestly, since tr- looking for truth who will agree with either what I'm saying or what they're saying, but we don't know whether it's 51%, 61%, 70%. This number 90%, I'm actually curious to talk about later, you know, where that comes from, if not from Gary. Um, But history ultimately isn't a vote. It actually doesn't matter what uh, 90% of scholars say. History isn't a vote. We're here to talk about what the evidence is today. So um, I will probably also talk about scholarship, Um, but just note that that's, that's not the way history works. Now, the resurrection of Jesus, if it happened, I think everyone would agree, would be a miracle. That this isn't something that we have recorded history of other people doing, coming back from the dead. So, and I think probably my anticipated that what I would say is that, by definition, in history, a miracle is actually the least probable explanation for something. So, um, that's just the, the way it works, nat- natural God intervening is sort of the, the last thing we look at. Now, that is not a method... We're not looking at historical naturalism here. We're not saying that because it's least likely that we say that miracles can't happen. I think it, it's entirely possible uh, that miracles could happen. Um, but unfortunately, when we look at history, that's the least likely thing. So if you want to tell us that a miracle happened, or if you want to prove that a miracle happened, or convince us that it did, You would need a level of evidence that overcomes the burden that I'm sorry, miracles, that's just the way life is for you. You have to overcome the burden of being the least likely thing that we could think about. So given if there's two things that have equal explanatory power, you have the extraordinary claim, miracle claim, and a mundane claim. A historian, an honest historian, if there's equal explanatory power, would have to say the mundane claim is probably the most probable thing that happens. And that's all history can do, is tell us what's most likely. Now, um, Mike went through a number of facts. I'm glad he didn't go through quite as many as I thought he might. Um, but I'm going to argue that there's really only, granted that I've I've granted the, crew, the death, so that's fine. Um, I really think there's only one fact that we're discussing here at all, and that is that people said Jesus rose from the dead. If people didn't say that, we wouldn't be here. So ultimately, we're looking at testimonial evidence. Now, if you're a historian and all you have is testimony, what would you prefer? What kind of testimony would you like? Well, you would obviously like firsthand testimony. First-hand is better than secondhand, 4th fourthhand. You'd also prefer to have contemporary testimony. You'd prefer that uh, the person who's talking about it was either there or lived around the same time uh, as what he's talking about, as opposed to someone uh, generations later. You'd prefer to have multiple accounts rather than fewer accounts. Obviously, the more accounts you have, the better attested something is, and we'll talk about that a bit. Um, You'd prefer that your sources were independent. You'd rather have have sources that couldn't have corroborated, that weren't going from the the same experience. you'd like to have even though you'd like them to be independent you would prefer if that evidence would corroborate each other you'd prefer that when multiple people talk about something that they're getting the details the same or at least close to the same on the on the main points and lastly you'd like that testimony to be unbiased you prefer that the person who's giving the testimony doesn't care one way or the other you know has no vested interest in what's what's happening here You'd, you'd prefer Obviously, uh the witness to an accident, you'd prefer a piece of the bystander on a street rather than one of the drivers. So um, you know, those that's kind of testimony that people would like. Um, so obviously, yeah, I would agree the Bible is not um one book. Uh, it's it's rightfully so 66 books. And uh we're speaking though specifically about four or five here. The main one that most people get their evidence about the resurrection from is the gospels. Now When we evaluate the Gospels in light of the kind of testimony people would like, we start with the fact that they're anonymous. We have no idea who wrote the Gospels. We have traditions that came later, but the Gospel writers didn't sign the books. Um, And again, I would appeal to, uh, you know, that's the scholarly consensus. Well, In fact, it's not even scholarly consensus. You can read the books yourself. They don't name themselves. Also, if you read the book yourselves, you'll notice none of them even claim to be first-hand witnesses. There's, There's no verse in there that's in any of the Gospels that says, I saw this... Um, which is a weird voice to use. I'm sorry, I didn't use that. Um, the, the gospel writers didn't, um, aren't first-hand witnesses. They don't claim to be. Um, and are the gospels contemporary? Well, I think even the people who are very aggressive at early dating will put Mark, which is the first gospel, written around 65 AD, which is 35 years, 32 years after the, the uh, crucifixion was supposed to have happened. Well, given the lifespans at that age and time, um, in the first century in run Rome, lifespan was around 30 years. Um, so we're talking about a full lifespan of, uh, past when the events happened. You're talking about John, you're talking about 95 AD up to 120 AD, depending on how you date it. These are generations after the events. So, you know, these gospels um, aren't, aren't necessarily, they, they don't do well against these criteria. Additionally, fun fact, um, the original Book of Mark doesn't even have post-resurrection appearances, so it, it doesn't almost doesn't even count for that. Um, again, they're not independent. I think um, Mike agreed with me that you know ninety-seven percent of Mark. So Mark was written first, and Matthew and Luke borrowed heavily. In fact, ninety-seven percent of Mark is duplicated in Matthew, eighty-eight percent of Mark is duplicated in Luke. And specifically, I know there's Q and there's other sources, but specifically. Uh, the post-resurrection appearances seem to be most borrowed from Mark, including almost some of it word for word, um, if you look at the original Greek. And where there is differences, they seem to be theological in nature. I better hurry up. Um, And there's also evidence that John used Mark. Uh, So these are not the kind of independent sources you'd want. Um, The other problem is they don't corroborate. Now, I would never say that um, the fact that there's contradictions in the Bible proves or disproves the resurrection of Jesus. But if we're talking about evaluating a source, and do they corroborate with each other, um, they, they vary on points that can't really be reconciled. Did Jesus die before or after the Passover? Um, did the women tell anyone about Jesus resurrecting or not? Uh, how did Judas die? Um, where did Peter see resurrected Jesus for the first time? These are all points on which the Gospels do not agree. Now, I don't think that's necessarily evidence, but it does definitely should knock down um, your confidence level in these sources Uh, as as good witnesses when the fact that they can't agree on some of these very basic points. And the truth is, where they differ, it actually seems to to not be because they're writing history, but because they're writing theology. So, for example, John seems to have moved the time of the death of Jesus so that he could make Jesus be the Passover lamb that most of his book wants to talk about. They were playing very fast and loose with any details they happen to have. These are actually not intended to be historical books. Um, we might look at extra biblical I, I noticed mike didn't talk about extra biblical but if i'm going to briefly address those um we actually have no one outside of the the gospels who say they saw jesus alive um we have at best people who talked about what christians believed happened, but again we we, we don't have any sources outside of these ones so we're, we're kind of stuck um Paul, we have these circumstantial sorry you got, you got, got one minute left mm-hmm. i'm okay one minute let me ahead so we're one person we have who named things is i got i got two minutes oh well um one person who said that they saw jesus and gave that name it was paul so but paul didn't see jesus paul saw a vision uh if you look at the thing in acts uh the companions didn't see what he saw they didn't hear what he heard this was after the ascension so jesus would have had to come back that would have had to be the second thing paul saw a hallucination which is a mundane explanation. And as we're going to talk about, mundane explanations supersede the others. Uh, we'll talk, I think, in our back and forth about the first 15, uh, 1 Corinthians 15 creed. Um, again, that is really just testimony to what people said happened, as Mike said. It's not testimony of what actually did happen. So we're looking at the veracity of this claim. And we look at these witnesses and say are they telling the truth yeah maybe they're telling the truth another option is no they're not telling the truth they're actually out and out lying we obviously know that that's a possibility the other thing is could be possible is no they're mistaken they they thought they they were telling truth but they weren't the second of those two that they're lying or that they're mistaken are extremely mundane claims so again when we're talking about the mundane that has to be taken into consideration from his history well ahead of anything that's supernatural, and we, what we don't have, testimony does not lead us to to uh, to much. Anyway, testimony doesn't lead us to conclude something miraculous when we have mundane claims at hand. And I will uh, end there.
1: Perfect, um, Steve. Do you hear that that feedback, or is that just me?
2: Uh, it's not like a train or something, but it's gone now, or like a rumbling, but
1: it seems yeah, to it's, it's getting lower. Okay, um, excellent job. Uh, well, let me ask, do one of you have something going on in the background just so that we can go ahead and... I don't think so. All I have is a, I have a little if fan. I, that's about it. That might be what it is. Um, okay. I don't hear it as much anymore. Um, all right, so you guys, uh, I think, laid out a excellent starting point. Um, there's a lot of ground to cover there, I think. Um, a lot of points were kind of uh, put out. So since we just um, ended with Paul... Mike, we'll start the discussion off with you, and and you can kind of, um, I, I guess, pick a point there, or however you okay. want to go, and then um, it, it's you guys show from now on. Great.
0: Um, okay. So, tons of stuff, right, from both me and from you, and so then the debate now in my head is like, where do we go from here? So, um, let me let me just come back to what I think are the most important issues, which is this. Um, I gave three. Consent, you know what I say are consensus facts, and then a fourth one that I that is a majority that I think we have a really solid case. Yeah, for. Yeah, and I would actually compliment.
3: Um, I would compliment you that, that those those first three facts I would generally agree with you.
0: Okay, that was my first so question. Is, okay,
3: g- so do you do you agree so, with those three facts? Well, you gave good wording, so let me just go through the first of them. So obviously, I'm willing to if he, if Jesus died, I'm willing to say or Jesus if Jesus existed, he died. Like that's easy to grant so so we can sort of skip over that the first one well it's more and it's, even it's and more I'm specific
0: even, than that because it's important that he died by crucifixion that's part of what assures us that this wasn't a swoon this wasn't like a you know like he, he didn't get revived a few days later
3: sure and and you know swoon theory i don't know why you keep using that um you know it's kind of a thing that hasn't been popular for a century but um but yes, I'm going to keep it you, not so popular. That's, that's, <laughs> that, all right, sounds good. Uh, no, so I'm with you. So he, he, I, I think that we have enough evidence um, from Tacitus and Josephus for for, my, um, for me willing to say, yeah, he, he died at the hand of Pontus Pilate, that, that probably that happened. So I, you know, I grant mm-hmm. you that, that that one exists. Okay. Um, you, you phrased the other one, I thought well, was that the disciples um, believed that he was resurrected and that that they believed that they saw appearances. So that's also easy to grant. I, I think okay. that... Um, now, what, the only twibble I would have there is, um, which disciples do you mean? So how many of them do you think... Uh, so I would agree that, obviously, um, if you count Paul as one of them, uh, Paul definitely believed he saw... No, actually, you, that was your third point, Paul. So we'll leave... That him. was the third fact, so yeah, because he we have wasn't Peter. a disciple. Sure, yeah. So we have... You know, we have Peter who went on to do things that we're well aware of. Um, do you think that we have great attestation that any of the other 12 um, believe this?
0: So, <clears throat> okay. Uh, first, let me just say this. like, This is, this is not a fact that is debated really sure, outside no, I, I, of I, I, wh- the, the conversation we're right having. I mean. So are, are you saying that you dispute number two?
3: No, I, I would say... Uh, I would say if you said that that 12 disciples believed that he was, a um, that he, let's say this, I would, I would dispute that. But if you're just saying some disciples, so I would grant you probably that um, James and that maybe Jude and that uh, Peter, you know, those are the ones that are well attested. The others, you know, depends on where. So you, you say James, I'm not completely.
0: You said James, Jude and Peter are well attested. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So James and Jude, brothers of Jesus, not original disciples. Those are actually great to add to my case. <laughs> so James and Jude, brothers of Jesus who did not believe in him while he was, you know, doing his ministry on earth. And they actually razzed right. him and it seems wanted him to get killed. And then, uh, and thought he was crazy according to the gospel accounts. And then later um, they, they had some kind of appearance. So they kind of are more, like in that category of non-believers who became believers, probably right. as a but result of whatever they really thought they saw. talk
3: about the other... So obviously, you know, um, Judas doesn't count because he didn't see resurrected Jesus. Um, mm-hmm. So then you're down to like 10 people that we don't really, I, they don't really have much attestation that they, that they went around claiming this. And the reason why this is important to me is because, um, you know, you, people talk about, do we need mass hallucinations and do we need a giant conspiracy and stuff? And it's like, well, no, it's really just a couple of disciples. Who we know really well, we're going out and preaching this stuff. We don't have great ideas of what um, Bartholomew and Matthew and like all those guys were were out saying. We we have good attestation okay. for Peter. We have good attestation for Paul. Mm-hmm. So so I want to is that... Go ahead. So okay, you say Peter, you say Paul.
0: Um, in the same places where you say we have good attestation for Peter and Paul, First Corinthians 15 is probably the chief passage for that. For pretty much everybody right um that is actually the same yeah. passage where it says that he also appeared to the 12 so, so he appeared to peter oh, well, and, sure. so, and to the 12
3: so uh, that let's talk about can i'm just going to jump to so we can go back to first corinthians 13 i want to say oh absolutely peter or paul believed he saw i'm, I'm going to give you number 3 absolutely that paul okay. about everybody thinks he saw jesus I'm, I'm i'll fully grant that um but i don't think he actually did i think he saw a vision we'll come back so first corinthians 15 okay. um is a creed i would grant you i think you know um habermas likes to date it around 3 i think it's probably closer to what you said which is you know 5 to 10 and we get that from um the approximate date where we think that paul visited peter We're, that's probably what you think right that when paul visited peter as described in galatians that that's where he i think they figure yeah
0: so yeah, so Peter's like on his way to, or Paul's on his way to Damascus, and then uh, about three years later he goes to visit Jerusalem after he gets saved, and we figure by then he has to have received the cre- the, the creed. Um, at least that's the timeline that he gives in Galatians, a timeline which the dating of which doesn't seem like it's anything other than him just accounting. You know, here's here's where I went, and here's what I did. So right.
3: that would that would mean so within
0: within three years
3: of his conversion. I'll grant you that. Um, so within, within five to 10 years, within five to 10 years, um, people believed this. Um, but I, you know, again, I, I think it's a rather mundane claim to say that people believed something that was not necessarily true or they couldn't actually know whether or not it was true. So let's go through the people who there. So Cephas, that's actually one that I'm, for those who don't know, Cephas is another word for Peter. You would agree with that, right? Another name yeah. for Peter? Yeah. Um, so you appear to Peter who is the one person who I think, you know, is either delusional or, or mistaken or lying or whatever. Um, and then to the twelve. Now we don't, again, what I was talking about is we don't really have good records of what happened to the twelve. So it's very possible that, you know, again, I don't know, this is what people believed. Um, and then, and then appeared to the more than 500, which a lot of people talk about, well, this says that it's appeared to 500, but we're talking about really, you know, it's very easy for a story to claim that 500 people saw something. Mm-hmm. So for example, I live in a large city. We have over a million people. But if I said, you know what, last night, um, Rolling Stone, now nah, let me pick something. Else. Uh, there was a big concert right outside of town and 500 us were there. And it was amazing. There was this great concert. The 500s were there. Um, if you don't believe me, go and talk to some of the people because most of them are alive because it just happened yesterday. How would you possibly, even in the internet age, how would you possibly go and find those 500 people? And if they didn't exist, if I made the whole thing up, how could they possibly stand up and say, well, no, I didn't see the concert. I could find a million people that said they didn't see the concert, but that would still leave this claim that there were 500 that did. Like It just doesn't seem uh, like a great claim.
0: Okay, so so maybe your hypothesis is that what Paul is doing is he's saying, like Peter, who you say definitely thought he saw Jesus. There was like an appearance mm-hmm. thing going on there, at least in his head. Um, Paul definitely believes he did, but you're saying that the 500 is just a lie. Uh,
3: a lie or a mistake, yeah. Well, uh, Okay, um, so and then now if, some, if I grant be, you... Like, if again, I, let me... Go ahead. Finish.
0: Yeah. Okay. Sorry. If if I grant you the five hundred, and we just set that off the table, and we say, hey, let's focus on the twelve. So the appearance to the yeah, twelve sure. is attested in First Corinthians. It's also consistently in uh, all four of the Gospels. And you say it's not in Mark, but it's actually the it's not narrated in Mark. But at the end of Mark, we have the statement that there that Jesus will appear to Peter and the twelve and and, and the rest of the disciples. That he's going to appear to them. And so there's a group appearance now. I think that a historian would look at Mark and say, Mark is writing after the fact. He's alluding to what was already a tradition going around at the time, which was that Jesus had appeared to a group of his disciples, which included the 12. And then we have Mark, Luke and John that are all consistent. Now, even if you think they're fabricating some of the details, I feel like you've got to at least admit that there was something that happened where 12 guys said that they saw Jesus, or I should say the 12. Well, the 12 is a title do, for do, those do, particular that's, guys.
3: But that's interesting. So, um, well, first of all, I think you know it, the fact that it's in Mark actually just helps my case in that you know the other Gospels borrowed so heavily from Mark. Of course, they want to finish that. The fact that Mark had that weird abrupt ending, I think you'd agree with me that the ending that is in most Bibles of Mark, you know, isn't the true ending of Mark, right? Like Mark, really, the original manuscripts ended with the women saying they weren't going to say talk to anyone again, verse nine, sixteen
0: nine. Um, I I think that I think that. Mark doesn't end in a verse it ends in a in a in a story and you shouldn't read the last verse and act like that's the ending of Mark but no I do think uh, no, no, at, no, no. at least at the moment I do think that the the last verses that are in most bibles in Mark are not original I think they're constructed from right. Luke and Acts so, and the different the different uh passages there but the ending of Mark doesn't doesn't really mean that they didn't tell anybody ever and I think it's honestly I think it's a little silly when people say that well, um and i c- we no, can talk the, about that the if you only like. reason
3: it's not silly is because the other gospels talk about them immediately turning around and running to find peter like they immediately talk about yeah and and so you have mark saying which is, which is what mark implies not to yeah. tell anybody so i mean that's a, that's a that's a but uh sorry i lost track of what we were talking about so we were talking about whether the 12 uh whether the, we're just talking about peter and 12 um mm-hmm. which is really just a few more uh since judas was dead um we we don't so have got, we don't you've have got stories the of about the, the we don't have stories about the individual twelve though uh, g- even going out like we don't have um, great stories of them until like the fourth century of what each of them supposedly did afterwards um, you know we don't we don't know for okay, sure well, no, we, that they we were do. going around we have first century stories of the twelve absolutely yeah we I mean
0: Where? that's what the gospels that's what uh, Okay, so uh, sorry, yeah, sorry. Matthew, and, and, Luke and, and John record stories uh, yeah, of the 12. First right, Corinthians 15 Bible is Bible a story Bible. of the 12 from within five years. Um, so well, these, are, these, are, these are first century records, and that's why
3: but this the creed majority, is people
0: the vast believed. majority
3: The creed is what but, but even the vast majority will tell you that that creed that Paul was reciting Paul couldn't mm-hmm. attest to it. All Paul could do he, he wasn't there. So all he was doing was repeating mm-hmm. what other people believed. Just like if I okay, was telling but, people, this is what Mike believes. It's mm-hmm. not like I can attest to it. I'm just, he's just repeating what he was given. But I didn't use it
0: in the sense of saying, therefore, it's true, right? We're saying, okay, like a historian looks at First Corinthians 15 and they say, what's the historical core that led to this saying? Well, it comes from Jerusalem, from within five years of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and there's a creed, a formalized creed, uh, that is going throughout the church that Paul reports to us, that we can trace back to that time and place, that is saying that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the Twelve, and then over 500 at once, and to James, and finally, last of all, he appeared to Paul. Now, I, I think that that is strong evidence that the early, 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 early moments after the resurrection, we had uh, testimony, just testimony, I'm saying here of group appearances of Jesus to his disciples as a, not just Peter, but also the group. And if you believe Peter, then it seems like you ought to believe in the group statements as well, because they come from the same
3: source. Uh, the, re- the reason I believe in Peter is because I, you know, I, I, I believe that he actually met Paul um, and that Mm -hmm. That would have been just too weird if if Peter had admitted, I made this all up. Um, You know, I I, kind of think that probably didn't happen. Um, So you had talked about, or I actually wanted to just, uh, you know, that I might need to have uh, an alternate explanation uh, of what some of these things were. So, and part of the reason why I I think, you know, you want to narrow down the number of people is because it doesn't have, the Bible doesn't have to be a giant conspiracy of even 12 people you know if you look at it it really could just be a you know a few people one one paul who i believe is mistaken and it's possible that peter was also mistaken so um i I actually looked up a number of studies on uh post-bereavement hallucinatory experiences i I don't know if you've pbhe have you heard of those so yeah um that's basically you know there's a great study in 2015 by castelnovo um for for those in the audience it's basically when someone has a sensory experience that, that frequently happens right after a, a death, it's a bereavement. They see the person who died. Um, and these are people without a history of mental illness. It's just a very common thing um, when people... And the common symptoms are loneliness, low mood, fatigue, anxiety, cognitive dysfunctioning. And about one... According to a 1993 study on this, about one-third of the people who've never had history of mental illness, one-third of people... Report hearing and talking to the person that they've talked to, and I think actually even Steve may have experienced this once. Um, so you know, again, we're, this is a that's a very mundane thing that that you know there have been millions of reported cases of, of this. Um, you know, it would be a very mundane claim to say that Peter and or a handful of the others um, thought they saw Jesus, thought they talked to him. It, it wouldn't take, it doesn't take the supernatural mm-hmm. to explain why they thought. That Jesus was alive. Um, Can I respond to some of you? that, please? I
0: okay. So <clears throat> I've heard some of this as well, and, and the, the statistics that I read were that about fifty percent of um, senior adults, in particular, who are grieving the loss of a loved one, will experience some kind of hallucination, and um, only about seven percent of of, of of people will actually have a visual hallucination the majority of them will be auditory and they're generally very very brief and pretty much in none of these almost none of these circumstances do people go away thinking the person is alive from the dead they just think they're seeing the, their deceased loved one they don't you know they don't start you know thinking oh they're back that's not the normal thing um these by nature hallucinations cannot be shared um, and that's why that's for those who are following our debate that's why we're debating over whether there was a group appearance because if there was a group appearance of Jesus that is incredibly strong information that there was a real appearance because if I see it and you see it well then it's not a hallucination um, so it's it's group hallucinations just don't actually happen that that sort of thing if it's a group that experiences it because it
3: really was there <laughs> that's, that's
0: the that's how you know so, that you're not hallucinating um,
3: so- Group hallucinations, obviously, you know, that has been studied. There have been things where people claim it. But um, I would put forward not group. If if we want to say that more than Peter just saw this, um, there's another phenomenon called mass that, hysteria. Yeah. Now, mass hysteria is, is a phenomenon where um, groupthink starts to take over, where one person, where one or more people saying they saw something spreads very rapidly. Now, we know from the way our memories work is that. Um, there've been lots of psychological studies where, you know, you can have some person, um, Bart Ehrman always cites the one where you're proposing to the Pepsi machine. They, they tell a number, they actually have some people propose to a Pepsi machine and they have some people just think about whether they did it and they tell them, and basically most of them end up coming away thinking that they proposed to a Pepsi machine, even if they didn't. Um, actually a, a recent case in 2015 in Europe where there was a woman who thought that, her, that she was being attacked by seven uh, creatures she, she thought maybe they were bears or some kind of creatures, where they ripped open the roof of her car, and, and she had to go to the hospital because of, what, because of all these wounds. Um, and this is, you know, literally two years ago. Well, now this, this, you can actually now go and interview nurses and doctors who worked with her, who actually affirm her story. But her car was impounded, and there was nothing wrong with the roof, and she didn't have any scratches. But it's just because she implanted this story, and it was so fantastical. It got around the hospital, and it seemed to get... Like, mass hysteria... So she lied again, to people, is, and they believed it. But that wouldn't be a group or she, well, I think she, Or she thought it happened. Like, she may have been... But but it doesn't matter. Like, mm-hmm. mass hysteria is, all, is again, um, a well-known... So do you think the disciples experienced mass hysteria? Oh, I think... I don't see. I don't think the actual disciples necessarily were involved in this. We're talking about all these other people who 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 didn't and couldn't have been first-hand witnesses who heard the stories. Um, And and Masses theory. All of a sudden, you start thinking, "Oh yeah, we saw Jesus alive." Like it it doesn't. Okay, but okay. So the choir. We respond to that.
0: That's an actual theory, right? So. The the thing is that doesn't fit the data, in my opinion, because what we don't have in the New Testament is everybody sees Jesus, but rather Jesus for a, for a period of time appeared to a select group of people, and when they share that story with others, those people don't respond by going, "Oh, I'm seeing him too right now." Right, Paul even says, old, "Last of all, he appeared those... to me."
3: So there was no one; well, there we were no more appearances after people. Paul. We don't have testimony from any of those people that that we, Jesus well we, we have the historical to. record. Yeah, we, I mean, we have Paul himself. We
0: have Peter, who says he Paul. was an eyewitness of his glory. We have right, the, the we have so the, I'm, I'm the reliable... Have
1: something... right, hold on. There's a little bit of uh, stepping on at each other, just a little oh, bit. So let's... Uh, Mike, go ahead and finish your point, and then Paul... Sorry, I'll, can... I'll let you finish.
0: Yeah, so I, I think that what I'm trying to say here is... Um, uh, the, the, the Even though I have a bare-bones case, right? Th- just three facts that strongly attest to the resurrection of Christ... Um, that is agreed to by a consensus. And I can read to you a bunch of list of names that Habermas has provided over 60 different names of guys, um, including atheists and all this, but, but that that bare bones case is, is powerful enough that Paul has to deny the the consensus of scholarship on the issue because the fact of multiple eyewitness testimony of, you know, that just defeats a hallucination theory, that's pretty powerful stuff. So I think that this is very good to, to get out there and talk about. Yeah.
3: No, but if you take that if you take it aside like how many people would have had to have hallucinated and by my theory only peter and paul well and paul i think you know we would all agree i don't know maybe you think he saw a bodily jesus i'm not sure if you think that he did or not um paul describes what he saw as visions so it's very easy to explain that what he saw was in his head even if god did it even if god put it in there that doesn't mean he was physically there um so we're talking about now one person who who either is mistaken, and there's plenty of reasons to explain how he might have been mistaken, or mm-hmm. we're talking about a guy who gave up his fishing business to follow Jesus and was devastated after this all happened, but used to go around for free and preach to people and they would all be great. And and now he can continue this ministry. Like, again, I'm not saying that's what happened. I, I know you mm-hmm. hate that when people don't stick to a theory, but all it means is all you need to do is if there's a list as i've discussed and maybe you disagree if there's a list of mundane reasons that equally explain what happened then you know then that historically the mundane solution is going to win as as opposed to a miracle because a miracle requires a lot of evidence to overcome that burden would you not agree oh i definitely don't agree but
0: but let me let me get into why though um <clears throat> so when you give a list of Eight different explanations, none of which you commit to. And you say somehow as a group, they together explain the facts that we're trying to explain. Whereas they don't even work together as a group. Um, That to me is just strong evidence that my explanation is a lot more reasonable.
3: Well, we're talking about one fact. So so Paul, we're talking like he died, whatever. Like none mm -hmm. of those, none of these, nothing that I talked about affects Jesus's crucifixion. None of nothing. So, and Mm -hmm. then I totally grant you that Paul thinks he saw something. So we're talking about the middle section and you haven't really shown to me that 12 people saw him because all Mm -hmm. we have is stories that 12 people saw him. We don't have any of the 12 putting up their hand other than Peter to say I I did. So now we're talking about one dude.
0: Mm -hmm. So do, based on the same reasons why you accept Paul and Peter, and James and Jude, you should accept the twelve because it's the same sources, it's the same source material, and <clears throat> and it's mis- accepted by the majority of the scholarship on the issue.
3: No, I actually don't accept the gospels. I accept the reason why I think Paul and Peter did was because of the epistles, not because of not because of anything that's in the, the gospels.
0: I'm talking about the epistles, First First Corinthians fifteen. Yeah.
3: Well, no, but First Corinthians fifteen is not a claim. It's Paul's just saying this is what people believed. Like I I, isn't saying.
0: (laughs) Help me out with this, Paul. If I say to you um, that 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 Paul says, you know, here I'm. I visited with Peter. I spent 15 days with him and James. And I'm telling you, um, right, that that Jesus appeared to Peter. He appeared to the 12. Like, you accept the Peter one, but not the 12 one. Why is that?
3: Well, because Paul didn't meet Paul didn't meet any of the rest of the 12.
0: Well, he did. He met all of them. Later on, we went back to Jerusalem for the council that we read about in Acts chapter 15. So he did go back. Fifteen years later, he goes back again. He meets all the disciples. All the ones that were there in Jerusalem, anyhow. Uh, Um,
3: Right, if you're accepting Acts,
0: which I don't. Well, you used Acts to try to fight against Paul by saying Paul had a vision. You used Acts
3: and the account in Acts of what Paul experienced when he was converted. Uh, Sure, but I I use it be only only because you know you guys you you do accept it and even max agrees with. i it. didn't bring it uh, up i wasn't going to use it today but you brought it in so i'm gonna i'm gonna okay. use it then all right <laughs> um kyle yeah. how much time do you have in total because i actually wouldn't mind talking about the empty tomb a bit too
1: i i don't have uh I, i'm just gonna let you guys go until you you get where you're at a, okay. a mutual stopping point um until i have to go to the yeah. bathroom <laughs> do you, you need a break uh, on five minutes. no i'm good I'm so
3: So are you okay if we we shift to like, so,